All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. They're coming to get you, Barbara. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. Here's Johnny. Vanity. Definitely my favorite set. I am the devil, and I am here to do the devil's work. The power of Christ compels you! This is my boomstick! What's your favorite scary movie? What up, whoreheads, and welcome to Shiver, a horror movie podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Daniel DeBona. And I'm David Uyoa. And this week, we are continuing our look into black-directed horror. As we continue to move forward through time, we went back a little further last week with Blackula, mm-hmm. and we're going to hit the 90s with a movie that really encompasses a phrase that we love here, which is offensively 90s. <laughs> and we are going to be doing a we are going to be doing the movie Tales from the Hood from 1995 and uh i I had some fun if you are watching us live or you catch us on youtube and you actually catch the banner names down here i had some fun with most of them and some hip-hop lyrics so in a section that we're coming that we're calling coming straight from the underground we're gonna just i want to just talk about this movie overall Mm -hmm. the kind of the feel of this movie it's does not ever shy away from the fact that this movie is heavily influenced by the Tales from the Crypt formula. And I only say heavily influenced in the show notes, so I didn't have to say, I mean, it's even just called Tales from the Hood. It's a straight rip of everything that Tales from the Crypt did, and that's fine, because they took it and they made it from their own. Uh, So what we have is we have Tales from the Hood, which is an anthology of four different stories, all have their own lessons, and connected with one overarching story of a guy who is very Crypt Keeper-esque, and he's telling these stories and these lessons of morality to these young men that are visiting him in his uh, uh, funeral home, mortuary. Yeah, uh, funeral home. Yeah, funeral home. So, I mean, starting off, man, like, what did you think about this movie? It's We're looking at it coming up on 30 years old. It's, it's four or five different stories. I mean, did you feel like it all tied together? Did you feel like it was four different episodes of a TV show? I mean, did, did all any of that work for you? It works in a big way. Um, and for two reasons. One, because I am a huge fan of those old anthology films. Tales from the Crypt, uh, The House That Dripped Blood, uh, you know, all those old um, all those old anthology films that then the Tales from the Crypt TV show, you know, took and ran with right i love it i eat that stuff up uh so on that level i love it because it is very much an homage to that um but on a on another level entirely like this is an amazing work of like very specific genre like this is very specific horror it is black horror each one of these stories is uh like you said as much a morality tale as it is a tale of horror right uh, and that's uh and and funny too yeah uh, which is one of those things that that balance is really hard to strike um that's something that i think uh george romero got right with creep show is oh, that yeah. uh like it's it is very funny but it's also very scary 
yeah. um, because a lot of the topics that it, it, it tackles are very real topics and things that you can definitely um, you know, uh, see yourself in, in some of these characters and how they feel and what motivates them. And so taking that format and making it distinctly about the black experience in America is number one for a white guy like me, eye opening. Um, but number two, you know, being that I am 35 years old, these are issues that I've read about and heard about and, and, and seen haven't experienced myself, but seen on the news and, and, and heard from, from people, from, from friends, from, uh, from just about anyone. I mean, you turn on the news and you can't help, but, but see this, you turn on social media and a movie that was made almost 30 years ago is just as relevant today as it ever was. Right. And, and I think that that's powerful when you can have something that um, that crosses genre, that becomes humor and horror and social commentary all at once. That's uh, that's a brilliant piece of filmmaking, even if it is intended to be an homage to, you know, kind of horror B movie stuff. Yeah. I mean, what's incredible about this movie is the fact that when I when I when I was writing out the show notes and and I, I I had this idea of you know like wondering does it feel like one complete piece of work or does it feel like four separate things and, and I wrote that and as, as I sat there and I thought about it I think the reason that this does feel like one complete work is because it does feel like four different stories because like you were saying it what it is very much a throwback to that type of thing. I mean, how many times on this show have we done a movie that we ended up giving some sort of middling rating and we say they just, they, they stretched out the wrong stuff. There was, this was longer than it needed to be stuff like that. Uh, you know, when we, when we did, or, or you, you talk about how when you've got this, this message that you want to get across and you get real ham fisted with it. Cause you're trying to fill 90 minutes, things like that. The Candyman remake, I'm looking at you. Right. So, this works as a whole piece because they had these four distinct ideas and themes that they wanted to push, but they didn't want to beat and beat them uh, or beat us over the head with them to the point that we no longer cared what they were trying to get across. And that's what makes it all work. That that's why it's so cool. And it's, Really great. So this movie came out in 1995. That's less than 10 years after NWA dropped straight out of Compton, which, uh, you know, if it, it, now with the movie out, I know there's a, a larger swath of people who are aware that, of what that album did to not only music, but society as a whole. Mm -hmm. uh, there was there was insane backlash to straight out of Compton. And there were there were people who not only hated it, because of the things that it talked about, but were unwilling to believe that these were true experiences, right. that these, that these men, that these young men were actually just, just telling stories of what had happened to them. That's 1987 that we get straight out of Compton. And so eight years later we get tales from the hood and we get the same thing. And in the nineties, even though that was brought to the forefront, the backlash against straight out of Compton. Uh, and, and I know that there's a lot of other gangster rap that, that, that I'm not mentioning that did very similar things. That one just mm -hmm. being the one that's to, at the forefront. Right. But so 
you know, for, for all this time, people are still pushing back against all of that. This isn't true. Nobody's treated like this in America. This isn't what we're about. Eight years later, this comes out and we're getting these same stories. And when you look up the initial reviews and the initial responses to this movie, it was the same thing. Yeah. People are saying, this is ridiculous. Nobody's treated like this. This isn't the way that people talk and the way that things are, the way that things are. There's, there, there's no world like this. This is some sort of, this is some sort of urban male fantasy, you know, the, all that bullshit. Mm -hmm. Now, fast forward 30 years, the 24 hour news cycle, the, the abundance of activism and a generation that lived through this and has now found a voice in a voice that is becoming the majority as the boomers are dying out. Right. And this movie is as relevant as it ever was. And now it strikes deeper because we're fully aware of the fact that not only because we know this is going on now, we can only imagine that it was worth 30 years ago before all of it was front and center all of the time. Mm -hmm. And so this movie almost hits harder now because you put it into the perspective of, well, shit, is anything changing? Are we getting any better? And when you start to look at it through that lens, it's incredible to get all of these different stories that 30 years ago, um, Rusty Cundiff, 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 I don't know exactly how to pronounce his last name. I don't know either. I always said Cundiff. Yeah, I've always said Cundiff, and then I've just been staring at it all day. Mm -hmm. And... Um, but 30 years ago, this man was brave enough to put these things on the big screen. This movie had major theater release and people weren't willing to listen. So it's it's really great now to go back and watch this. I saw this movie late 90s, right? Like late sleepover blockbuster pick like we've talked mm -hmm. about so many times. And I just remember being like, oh, that was that was kind of cool. That was kind of fun. But I was right. a teenager. Mm -hmm. Now, as as somebody who's, you know, a little bit more aware of of what the world is, this movie not only is still relevant and not only still great, but it hits even harder. And yeah. and, and and, you know, like, you, does it scare? Hell, yes, it scares. God, yes, it scares. And on so many other levels now watching it in 2023, it continues to scare because how many of these stories are things that we've seen in the news recently? How, uh, you know, how many men have we seen executed by police while the police attempt to cover it up? How many mm -hmm. politicians with extremely racist backgrounds are we seeing not even try to bury it, just try to laugh it off and, and move on and just or use it as their platform or find the right audience to embrace them because of it? Exactly. All of these things are still happening. And so I was in awe watching this movie again last night thinking to myself man you you update the the quality on this and don't don't change the soundtrack by the way and we'll we'll get to that when yeah. we talk about directing <laughs> but yeah you 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 uh, you know you upscan this you you change a couple names here and there and maybe a couple cities you release this movie now and it's it's a hit it's a big hit people are singing the praises of this thing yeah and I was just, I was really enamored by all of that rewatching it last night, you know, and, and then on top of all of that, like you said, the, the cheesiness that, that goes into some of this, that was so just blatant homage 
to Tales from the Crypt and Creep Show and those old, uh, not Tales to Astonish, but those old comics that were like that. Mm -hmm. Tales to Astonish is just the name that pops to mind. Uh, you know, all of those things that, were the, that we, you know, we talked about, we talked a lot about Pulp last week with Blackula, all of right. those things that get wrapped into this. Man, this movie just, this movie, it's, it, it it hits it hits a lot it hits on a lot of cylinders i'm not going to say all i do have i do have a couple of things um about it but man it was it was really good it was good for exactly what it was and it was good for what it is now i'm i'm glad to hear you say that cuz i hadn't seen this in years i couldn't even tell you how long it had been i forgot what the what the different segments were um all i remember was uh that i saw this in my hip-hop face and and yeah. loved it for that reason right um and and a lot of the social commentary kind of just went like right over me um partly because i was so young but also because i was you know you know green wet behind the ears and that stuff didn't really get to me right um in 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 the way that it does today i mean you and i are both in the south um, so for, you know, our newer listeners, uh, Daniel's in Alabama and I'm in Florida and I mean, this is as far South as you get, you know, um, and yet you, somehow you, a little and, bit more and, Southern and, and, and where yet, I am. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say you're, you're still, <laughs> <more Southern. laughs> um, but like here, here in Florida, you know, we just had our, um, our governor, um, uh, I don't know how much governing he's doing, but we just had our governor <laughs> who shall um, not be named, <laughs> who shall not be named um, ban um, African-American studies AP courses in high schools. Um, you know, uh, we're one of those states, as I think Alabama is, where, um, uh, oh, my God, the, the name escapes me now. Uh, critical race theory has yes. been has been banned. It has um, been. Uh, not just in in schools, but um, in colleges and universities. And uh, I mean, the colleges and universities are kind of scoffing at it. Uh, yeah, yeah. But but the but the high schools have to if they want to keep their funding abide by this, you know. So uh, this is, in my eyes, just as relevant today. And like you were saying, you know, this idea that thirty years ago we're talking about the same stuff. How much better has it gotten? You know, how much better has it gotten since, uh, since the civil rights movement yeah. in, in the fifties you know, and, and the sixties. I, um, we, there was a, um, a, here in Tuscaloosa, there was a high school that staged um, a, a bunch of the black students staged a walkout because they were putting together a black history, a black history month program. Uh -huh. And while the, while the, the County board is saying that it never happened, um, this many students got together and did it. So I'm, you know, prob I, I, I'm, I'm, you know, stressed to believe them. They're claiming that they were told not to discuss anything before like the seventies in their black history month program. So they weren't to discuss slavery or the civil rights movement. And I was like, I was like, okay, good, good for you. Walk out. And, and they, 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 it was like an hour. They did a walkout. They made sure everybody knew why they were out there. I mean, and it was, it made the news. It was a big deal. So now if that ever was said, it's been completely rolled back and these kids are getting the black history month program that they want. But uh, again, you know, the, the idea that, yeah, since all of this time for all of the progress that we made, we're still silencing voices and burying these histories, mm -hmm. which makes this movie even more important. Absolutely. And, and as we're talking about the importance, uh, we'll move on into our, our next segment, uh, which is very aptly named uh, Neck Deep in the Shit. 
uh, or knee deep in the well, shit. Well, I, I think it was neck deep. As 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 I typed knee, I do think he said neck deep in the shit. Uh, well, they, it, it it was all about the shit. It was uh, the oh yes, the shit. It was all about the shit. Uh, so uh, so these stories, they are uh, plot wise kind of all over the place, but thematically, you know, very very on point and on par. So we've got stuff about revenge haunted uh plantation homes everything in between there so um when you look at each story individually how does each stack up uh were there any that scared you more than others and does the overarching story of uh the the three young men i can't remember their names i think there was a bulldog somewhere there was in there. bulldog there was stack and i stack, can't remember um, the other one uh so do you uh, them, you know, that, that are looking to buy the shit, right? right. Uh, from the uh, just incredibly portrayed Mister Smith uh, Sims by uh, by Clarence Williams the third. Yeah. Uh, it, does that as connective tissue provide enough for you? Uh, so I, I actually I, I want to suggest that we do something here. Do you want to go story by story and spend yeah. just like a, a you know two or three minutes on each? Yeah, let's let's do that. I mean, because this this movie is is definitely deserving of that. So right. Um, it's I want to so I want to start by getting into the the actual the the tales the tales from the hood. You know, we right. can, we can get back mm -hmm. to the mortuary, the prologue, epilogue, but. Um, it, and now, while they're not said in the movie, if you go and you read about it, each one of these stories does have its own title, mm -hmm. um, and you see it in the credits. So starting with the first one, which is Rogue Cop Revelation, uh, we get the tale of a handful of shithead cops that mm -hmm. pull over a guy who's an activist, beat him half to death, stages, murder him, stage it so it looks like he he died and then the one cop who wishes he'd have done something and doesn't quits the force brings them to his grave he gets revenge so um on the in the idea of do any of these scare more than others um this is the one that i was able to draw the most the the easiest through line from my life to the things that i was seeing here uh i've never made any qualms on this show about the fact that i'm not a fan of cops as i sit here with my my anti-flag koozie uh and um have had my my own troubles and run-ins with them and just but not from this perspective i i'm right. i i'm only I, i'm only tangentially kind of related to that but so when it when it comes to being scary, this is scary to me because my run-ins with the police have never led to my death, right, or the deaths of right. any of my friends. Uh, but I also am am current enough on on the things happening in the world to know that this this there wasn't just a guy who sat around and was like, "Man, what if cops were this evil and they could do this?" No, this is a guy who who created a story based on things that happened i and none of that is none no, nothing that the, of that part of the story is is made up and as we get you, into you don't it, have to go very far uh, no. tyree nichols was murdered by police officers for exactly the same reason yeah exactly no reason at all which is no reason at all right yeah. and, and so the the idea of pissing off the wrong people in power and and that leading to your death just just for doing what is right that's that's terrifying and so this one this one strikes real close to home i, I mean they they did some uh they there was some really great 
stuff in this. Um, and this one was the first one. One of the cool things about this movie and another through line that's, that, that, that travels from first story to last is the use of voice in this story. And I know you're a literature guy. And mm -hmm. so the idea that this movie, you can tell that it was written from somebody who had lived or experienced or been friends with people who were with these, who were part of a lot of these things because the voice that these stories were told from rang true. It, it never right. felt like somebody who was just trying to imagine what that might have been like. And, mm -hmm. and that strikes out immediately in this first one. Uh, I, I love, I, I, the, I just, I thought that the first one was really scary and I think that it, it had some of the coolest moments uh, so I'll, I'll let you talk about the first one now because this I, this I, one was just too. This one was a lot. I loved it. This um, I'm not sure if this was my favorite story, um, but uh, since we're talking about it right now, I'm going to say that it is um, <laughs> uh, because there, there's another one in here. Um, fuck the things I like about. I'm going to say that a lot. So um, I think the timing of this movie like needs to be acknowledged. This is coming in 1995. We're three years removed from Candyman. Right. And this segment is a better sequel to Candyman. Uh, than Farewell to the Flesh. Than Farewell to the Flesh. And I am a Farewell to the Flesh apologist. Okay. Um, I do like Farewell to the Flesh. Um, <laughs> uh, as uh, as non-Candyman-ish as it is, this movie really uh, – this segment really does, I think – evoke a lot of that Candyman feel where when uh what was his name was it morehead morehouse mm -hmm. uh when 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 morehouse starts speaking to him you know bring them to me um you know he takes on that that sort of Candyman uh role where he's like this protector of of your of, of of your of your people of your area of your culture of of you he's your protector and he's there he's looming over everything in that um in that mural that's on the wall right what i love is that morehouse sees how his story is so much intertwined with the violence inflicted on him and his people of the white man. Like there's no right. way, there's no way that you can escape that it's integral to your story. And, and, and there's good things about that. And there's bad things about that. And the good things are the, the, the ways that you learn from that and say, well, we're not going to let that happen anymore. Right. And, and, and then the bad things are obviously the fucking bad things the fact that it happens yeah right that it happened that continues to happen and and so you know i love that image at the end of the the cop crucified yeah with, with, with the very with, with the very same tools that they use to uh to persecute his people yeah and, and i mean and to and to completely tarnish his legacy and make mm -hmm. make and to make him seem like so not only did they murder him but they they did so in a way that brought into question everything he'd done until that moment Right. Uh, but the people know. Right. In the end, the people know. And uh, and so like the use of the of of the cross with him, I think, is uh, like particularly uh, important because right. it's like, well, the, the police are supposed to be there to protect and to serve. 
right? And that's that's the image that we have of uh, of Jesus, right? You know, Lord and Savior for uh, for for your sins and all that, right? Um, you know, you don't need to atone because there's grace granted to you by God because right. He sent His only begotten Son to you know die on some cross or something so um i think i got my theology right there uh, that's, um, I, I, I think i think you hit the the high notes yeah yeah i think i'm cross-pollinating uh, <laughs> uh you know catholicism with uh, with other denominational christian but uh i'm also not a theologian so um to see that bastardized which is what the police are for a, a large group of people in this country right uh so to see that image bastardized with a cop as the one that is the sacrificial lamb like that that's that's a powerful image and you're putting it right next to yourself saying this this is what put us here and this is what we have to overcome and this is what we can overcome because ultimately that was Morehouse's legacy right. is that we can get through this. We need to make sure that we take, we, we remove from the equation, the things that are stopping us from doing that. It was weird because he struck this very odd uh, balance between, you know, the, 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 the classical views of Martin Luther King Jr and Malcolm X, right? You know, uh, you know. Uh, to me, it, there was there. It was almost like the perfect view of both those men, you know, yep. because uh, it, you you can look at them and say, "Well, I agree more with with him," or "I agree more with with him." But there's lots of great points on both sides, and sometimes right. you have you have to find a way, you know, kind of like the X Men. That's that's what the X Men were supposed to be, you know. Uh, but the best X Men stories are when Charles Xavier and Magneto come together, right? And 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 that's what Morehouse was. And I, I you know, and just just as one final thing about this one, uh, if if you if you are listening and you are you are a friend of mine, and and you have heard me, you know, use the phrase, you know, I I look. I'll, I'll I'll say it on here because we don't have any sponsors to worry about losing. I'm an all cops <laughs> or bastards guy. I, I 100% am. And if you've ever, if you've ever questioned me on that, and I, I always give the exact same explanation. Cause people say, Oh, that that's, that's, you know, that's, that's painting with too wide a brush. This movie perfectly illustrates what I mean by that. And that is the fact that there may be good men that are cops like Morehouse, mm-hmm. but there are no good cops because of what Morehouse did which was he quit the force and ran away. He didn't do anything to get rid of the people who were bad people and bad cops. That's if, if you've got, if you've got oh, Smith, if, Smith, not, Smith, not more house. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. More, yeah mm-hmm. Smith, uh, Clarence mm-hmm. Smith. Um, if you've got, if you've got a hundred cops and two of them are bad guys and 98 of them are good guys, but those 98 don't turn in those two that are bad guys and bad cops. And what you've got is a hundred bad cops. So whenever mm-hmm. you hear me use the phrase, no good cops, that's what I'm talking about. And that's what happened with Clarence in this. He, he regretted losing his moment to actually be a good cop. And, and then, you know, came, he, he got his, you know, he got his revenge. It, it worked out poorly for him in the end. Mm-hmm. But uh, so just, for any of our listeners who may ever hear me or have heard me say that this perfectly illustrates what I mean by no good cops. Yeah. Uh, and so we move on to our second story, 
uh, called Boys Do Get Bruised uh, with a uh, a very uh, cast against type here for David Allen Greer. Uh, who is, I think, one of the funniest men ever to to, to grace this earth, dude? I I, I will still laugh myself to tears watching Blank Man, like one hundred percent. Um, uh, I know it's not like his movie because it's definitely <laughs> like like a like a Robin Williams movie, right? But uh, in Jumanji as the cop, uh, <laughs> yeah. he is you know that that scene where the vine comes out and it just takes the car and he just throws his gun at it. He goes, "Go on, take it." It's it makes me laugh every time yeah. I see that movie. He's he's amazing. Uh, so so anyway, go go ahead. Boys do that. Uh, so this one, while it like all of them carried a very powerful message, mm-hmm. this is the one that I feel like was the slip in this anthology. There was something while while this is an absolutely very powerful message, and I am fortunate enough that this isn't one that I've had to live through. Um, I, I have a wonderful relationship with my dad, and I'm thankful for that every day. Mm-hmm. Um, but this this one had a very powerful message that I don't think was delivered in the most powerful of ways and then kind of got so goofy towards the end of it that I think it kind of took away from it. Mm-hmm. That being said, Again, absolutely terrifying, right? Uh, I We both work with kids, um, and I don't know, with you being in the high school level, how often you have to deal with it, but I do work in a low-income area where DHR reports are not outside the norm. That is something we have to – I mean, I've, I've done multiple in my years teaching, and there have been times when they've resulted in – it being found out that, that parents were abusing their kids. And mm-hmm. so this was one that, while it should have – I don't know if it didn't if if it if it was if it didn't hit hard or if it was just I, I felt like it was it was so different from kind of having these similar experiences with that that um that that I don't know this one I just didn't connect with as much uh, but again I do think it was very scary and man like you had said so against type for David Allen Greer he was. He was horrifying. He was scary. Yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, we so many times on this podcast talk about, you know, what makes a good movie monster? Dude, David mm-hmm. Allen Greer in this part of Tales from the Hood is a good movie monster. And and he because he was just a monstrous human being. And it was incredible to see that range from him. Uh, I will I will give it that. But there was just there was something about this one that just didn't hit home for me. So um, I was not uh, beaten by my parents ever. Um, I, I did get an, an occasional spanking. Um, uh, we Cubans are known for, uh, as, as we call them, uh, the chancleta. That's the, the flip flop. Yeah. The yeah. Um, as are most Latino people. Uh, our grandmothers are uh, renowned world famous for their uh for their aim uh, their their sportsmanlike aim it's not just a meme huh it's not just a meme um now neither of my grandmothers ever chucked a sandal at me ever um they were not that kind of cuban grandmother um my father never beat me um my mother never once hit me ever um so that's not something that i can personally 
connect with uh, because I have had bad experiences with police officers. Nothing like what Morehouse right. has dealt with. And um, I think being white passing, um, I um, I don't have to deal with that when I leave Miami either. Um, people just assume that I'm either like Jewish or um, <laughs> uh, or or I'm like from some like European, like Eastern European country or something like that. You know, they, they assume you, like you, you got a Euro trash vibe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, but it, it, the thing is that like a Latino by way of Spain, like, you know, there's that kind of mix of like white European, but right. also like, you know, uh, native Caribbean going on. So like um, uh, ethnically ambiguous as Oscar Isaac is right. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it's that, you know, wh where the fuck are you from, dude? You right. know, and then the Miami accent doesn't sound like anything, you know, it's, it's like, it's only Miami. So where the fuck are you? You know? Right. So, um, I, I, I haven't had to, uh, to ever deal with this, you know, the, the, the domestic violence. Um, but a lot of my friends did, um, and from the reading that I've done and the, the research that I've done, this is something that the, the black and Latino culture kind of has in common. Um, and there's, there's a book that I read with my students, a, an incredible book uh, by, I think, maybe the foremost American writer today, Ta-Nehisi Coates. Um, ah yes so, yeah famous for uh, his writing in the in the atlantic uh famous black, for amazing uh, black panther run amazing black Marvel panther Comics run fan. and yep. captain america run i mean this this guy really really is amazing uh mr Coates, if you're listening uh i would love to have you big on the fans show. uh so I, I i teach Coates in class every year and um there's a line in there that um he says uh now i'm i'm paraphrasing because i'm not reading it um, but uh, he says that um, black parents would rather kill their children than to see them uh, taken by the world. Right. And uh, it's it, that's, I think, very difficult to like reconcile what he means there and or what I think he means and um, and the reality of that situation. And when when I stop and I think about it, um, to me, what that means is that the world is a terrifying place and there is no way that I can fully prepare you for it, but I can try. And if the way for me to try to prepare you for it is to toughen you up in whatever way I think that is, right, even if it's wrong, um, then that's what's going to happen, right? Um, it's like, you know, uh, we Cubans have a saying, um, a las buenas o a las malas. Yeah, do you want it good or do you want it bad? Because you're going to get it either way, right? <laughs> so um, that's that's kind of what I feel this is like. Um, so it's not, it's not a, a story that I can identify with. It's not a story that I can see myself in, but it is a story that I think, think i think i understand and and it's one that i think is just as scary for um for the children as it is for the parents because you don't know how to break that cycle 
It's a psychological thing, right? Trauma breeds trauma. And, 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 and so, like, why would Greer have monster tattooed to himself? I don't think he's proud. Right. I don't think he's proud of, of this, of who he is, right? He covers it up. He doesn't wear that tattoo proudly, right? Yeah. He's got, he's got to reveal the tattoo. So he comes, he comes home and he's dressed just like the teacher is, yeah. you know, he's, 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 he's got a suit and tie on. He's got a briefcase like this is a professional man who has to hide this fear that he has, that he is trying to beat out of his stepson. Yeah. And um, so I, I, I think that there's there's a lot in this story that I don't get. Right. And, and, I, and I do think that that's part of the problem for me, too. Yeah, and, and you're right. There is a mixture of tone here because it does get kind of silly towards the end. Um, but I think that that's intentional. I don't. I don't think that that's unintentional. I think that the reason why that happens is when you're talking about something that gives you such discomfort, there has to be, there has to be a release somewhere. Need some and, levity, to, right? And yeah. wh whether that is Morehouse coming up from the ground and giving you that "fuck yeah" moment, <laughs> yeah. right? Or it's um, you know David Allen Greer flat like a pancake, you know, uh, he's, <laughs> and he's still not giving up, still not no, giving up. No, no, you know that's uh, to, to me that's that's what that was. Is that yeah. was the okay? We're we're gonna we're gonna give you something to cheer at now. And um, it, it, it's kind of really no different than when you think of those anthology films of the 60s, you know, your Vincent Price's and your your Christopher Lee's and your Peter Cushing's, you know, these guys, the, the movies they did, they got cheesy yeah. and they were always about something, but they got cheesy. And in that respect, I think that, you know, although I would love to see that um, in a different way where it stayed serious the whole time. That's also really heavy stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, and like I said, I, I absolutely agree. I, and and I don't think that it was, you know, when you it's uh, I don't think that it was a, it was a weak piece. I just think mm -hmm. that it was the weakest of, right. of the four. Yeah. So um, moving on to number three, um, just an incredibly uh, entitled KKK comeuppance. Um, and this is the one where we get this. This one is our is our comedic relief of of the four, in, in my opinion. Yep. This this is this is the one where uh, we get Corbin Burnson playing an unbelievably racist politician yeah. who has just placed himself in the heart of people. I don't, I don't know that I'd say unbelievably racist anymore. <laughs> no, that's true. You like, know, that, he that did kind of remind me of someone recently. There, yeah, there there are plenty of people. Um. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I'm from Alabama. I, I live, I live amongst them. Uh, so, but so, and so we get this story of him kind of putting himself, you know, he moves into this house knowing it used to be a plantation and all of the, all of the fame and notoriety that it's going to bring from him. And it's a, it's a cursed house. It's the doll house. And we, we get this story of, of, of this, of all of these dolls that have, that have been cursed and, and they have to stay in the house and mm -hmm. a lot happens in this one, but I, I, it's, I, I it's, it's funny in, in the way that it happens. So what did you think about this one? I really like this story. And I think that again, we have to look at the, the timing here uh, because this is not too far removed from puppet master. Right. And, um, you know, Puppet Master, you know, good 
bad, indifferent. It was it was a thing. It was it, um, it exists. It, it, well, yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but uh, but also, I mean, it it be, it became kind of a phenomenon. I mean, uh, you couldn't walk into a video store without seeing a new Puppet Master, uh, a, you know, poster somewhere up right. there. You're like, really? They're making another one? Like, yeah, they are, and you're gonna watch yeah, it because they cost eighteen dollars. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, not not to rent the whole damn yeah, movie just cost movie. eighteen dollars yeah. to make. You yeah. can actually own the rights to this for twenty four, <laughs> and that'll fund the next one. <laughs> um, so um, I think that this did Puppet Master better than Puppet Master did. It kind of um, because number one, you you have a villain that you really want to hate. Oh, you God, love yeah. to hate him. Um, I mean, even his name, man. Duke Mecker, Duke, you know, uh, oh, a guy named Duke with KKK ties. Say it ain't so figure. Yeah. You know, I mean, (laughs) there's an obvious, obvious, you know, a jab at David Duke there, Um, you know, and then then you've got um, shit. uh, What was his name? Uh, His uh, his aide, his uh, his counsel advisor oh um um, uh, um uh, oh god what was his name uh there's so many roadie in the roadie roadie yeah and and uh and you've you've got this guy who's like kind of telling him exactly what to do to like get away with his racist yeah stuff. advising him to not run from it yeah, but to oh well, we we all have ancestries that 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 you know that we are to be ashamed of, and I'm not. He even says like I'm not that far removed from mine. It's like okay, <laughs> yeah, you know. So I um, you know, and and this this is a a, a guy who also you know kind of like racially ambiguous, yes. but you know this this is a black man. It's a black actor playing a black role. Um, and I think that this is commentary on this movement that we saw, um, within the black community at this time with the rise of, of guys like Colin Powell and Condoleezza Rice, you know, where you, you have, you know, this segment of, of, of black America, where it's like, you're, you're, you're siding with these people that don't like you. Right. And they're, and they're trying to take your like your, your, your rights away. What are you doing here? Um, and, and I can't begin to, to comment on that because it's, it's not my people and, and it's, um, it's not my comment to make, but I can comment on what like my people, the Cuban people do when, when like we are very famously, like Republican. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's, I mean, it's not just like a running, it's like, I, uh, I've seen comedians and stuff talk about that. I think it was, uh, Andrew Schultz makes the joke where he's like, as soon as Cubans get on shore, they're like, we got to fucking stop immigration. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and it's, it's like, it, it boggles my mind. And I'm, 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 I'm looking at like my family. I'm looking at, you know, some of my friends and I'm like, but, but don't you see how like it makes no sense, right? So I have to imagine that this is what what Kundif was was thinking when when he when he made this segment where it's like you know what what are you what are you thinking, what are you thinking trying trying to help these people? I mean they're hurting you, they're hurting me, they're hurting us, and 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 here we are, you know. And is it because we're trying to make it in the world? And so like by any means necessary, is that what it is? 
Because if it is, I get that. I don't agree with that, but at least I understand that. Right. You know? Um, so I, I, there's, there's two characters that like you, you really, really want to dislike in this. And so it makes the, the puppets, the dolls, right? The dolls, uh, Cause yes. they're dolls, not puppets. It makes the dolls um, that much more likable. And, and although they don't have the personality that the puppet master dolls do because they do have personalities. Uh, I will give them that. Yeah. Um, they really do a good job of establishing that they are like supernatural and that they are strong as fuck. Um, that's something I never got in puppet master. Like I felt the force behind these dolls and I was like, Holy fuck. Like when you saw that first doll get half its head blown off, and then it's yeah. just like piecing it back together and it looks at him and it cocks his head. I'm like, oh, fuck, he's about to get his balls chomped off, isn't he? And I was <laughs> yeah. rooting for that to happen, you know, and then there's there's some really scary moments here where like he turns around and he comes he comes back to that mural and there's more of those dolls missing on yeah. the mural. And then finally, it's like all the dolls are gone. And um, I've said it before. I'll say it again. I'm a huge fan of stop motion animation. I think it was done really, really well here. Uh, the the special effects in this movie were great when they happened. There's a lot of times where they cut away from it. And I know it's because they didn't have the budget, but that's the way to do it. And uh, and fuck, I mean, for me, this one really, really worked. Yeah, I, I loved this one. I loved that. Uh, I, I did love that it was. Because you're right, as much as I said the one before, this didn't really hit home for me. It was heavy, heavy, heavy. And this one, uh, this one did let you breathe a little bit. Mm -hmm. And, and in, you know, you, you could only enjoy so much of the one before it because everything about it was, was so, was so dense. Right. But this one, this one, you really could just sit back and you you knew as it was established just okay this guy is a horrible this guy is horribly racist he's going to get his and it's going to be great you got to sit and watch and wait for him to get his right yeah. so just all of that was was incredible and i really can't add too much more to what you said but there was a moment in this one that is i think as good at least almost as good as the uh, the imagery of the cop getting crucified at the end of the first one. And that is as he's dying and he is coming face to face with the consequences of his decisions. The very last thing he does is wrap himself in the American flag. Yeah. Like that's it's a going great to image. protect him. And yeah. the imagery of that is so great because how many times is that the shield that these guys put up when some, when, when something awful about their past comes out and suddenly and proudly America yes, first. Yes. Yeah. And it's, and it's, and it's America first. And they, mm -hmm. they, you know, so many times politicians metaphorically wrap themselves in the American mm -hmm. flag as if it's going to protect them from the consequences of, of what they've done in their past to see him literally as a last gasp effort to try to save his life and therefore and, and and thereby save his political career the last thing he does is try to wrap himself in this american flag that was genius imagery mm -hmm. and it was it was so incredibly deep whilst making sense in the context of what it was in there that was that was the moment where this 
uh, this particular one was elevated to a whole nother level for me. That moment of him just sitting there crying, he's bleeding, he's been attacked by all these dolls, he's face to face with uh, the hoodoo witch that that caused all of this as yeah. she's now appeared in his office and whatnot. And 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 that's and that's what he's trying to grab onto because you can I mean you can you can almost hear him but but I was you know but I'm a good American you know that's 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 what he's wondering is how yeah. could this happen to him he's one of the good ones <laughs> and so that moment was so so good and and just and just deliciously tasty because it, you yeah. knew delicious is the right word. Yes. Because it, it wasn't going to save him. And for, and, and, and after years and years of watching that move work for real life politicians <laughs> to see it not work <laughs> for a politician was, Oh yeah. Like, like I would, I would take that moment and make out with it. Like yeah. it was, it was, <laughs> it was that good. And so I just, I did. I loved that. Um, Corbin Burnson was all in on this race of po- racist politician, man. Yeah. Dropped no less than four variations of the N word and a mm-hmm. couple other racial slurs that we're yeah. not going to use on this podcast. Yeah. And I am in no way calling Corbin Burnson a racist. I love the man. No. I think he's done some no, incredible no. things, but did so convincingly. So, it's, I mean, it's, it's good acting. For him. It's yeah, acting. I mean, yeah, exactly. as, as far as I'm concerned, I mean, he hasn't yeah. shown me yeah. that he's a racist. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and so, but I mean, he just. He was all in on this guy, but also did it without ever making him like overtly like like uh, he was, you know, he was he was never Mitch McConnell where you just look at me like that guy's a slime bag. Right. You know, like you looked and you're like, oh, this is a good looking guy. And you see, maybe he's got some he's, point, he's, you know, he seemed put together yeah, until he, he opened was, his mouth. Exactly. The yeah. charisma was there. And so and then to be so then to be all in on those other things, it's like, OK, yeah, that's that's what it's really like. Yeah. That absolutely is. So uh, 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 just another fantastic one in that one. Yeah. <sighs> And that leaves us with um, the last of the anthology stories before we get to uh, to, to the bookends, uh, which is called Hardcore Convert, which saw uh, Cra- Crazy K uh, take on a, a crazy fucking story. What would you think of this one? So in this story, we see a guy who guns a guy down for, as far as we know, in cold blood, the guy didn't seem to be armed. And he's just yelling about how he, uh, he was just talking shit. And then he gets shot by that guy's boys and ends up in prison and goes to an extreme rehabilitation program, uh, where he's forced to kind of look at his life. Mm -hmm. Um, this one was, this one was, 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 woo. This one was, this one was heavy. Yeah. There was, there was, this was by far um, the most graphic one. And yes. what's incredible about the, the violence brought to this one was how much of it was real life photography and mm-hmm. how much of it is famous lynching photos. And uh, what was incredible about this final one was it's, it's one thing to sit back and look at the world and say everything that you think is wrong with it. That's something that anybody can do 100%. And everybody has that opinion. Here's what's wrong with the world. And I'm going to tell you why. And for three stories until this point, that's what we got. Here's three things that are wrong with the world. 
and and I'm and I'm going to show them to you, and I'm going to show you what what should happen to the people that that do these things. What's incredible about Hardcore Convict is the the amazing amount of self-awareness that it takes to take that same lens and turn it inwards. Um, and not necessarily on, on Rusty Kundiv himself, but on his own community. Mm-hmm. And that is an, inc- looking inward is, is the hardest thing in the world. Uh, look, there's, there's a very good reason you will never catch me meditating, right? I'm, I'm not the type of guy who needs to be left alone with my thoughts. I don't want to look inward. I just don't. My mind's a uh, scary place. Exactly. There's, there's all sorts of terrifying things in there and, and to, to not only look inward on, on you, but to, to take this same lens of criticism that you've spent this point to the movie pointing out at the world and to point it in at your own community is, is a, is a brave and powerful thing. Mm -hmm. And this one was the one where there was no levity in this one, not a bit. There was, there was not a moment where you chuckled in this one um there were some like i said there were some insanely powerful images uh paired with um with some very graphic music uh which i i watch i watch my movies with the subtitles on and the subtitles mm-hmm. were nice enough to go ahead and let me know everything that was being said in those songs in case right. i didn't in that song in case i didn't understand and uh this is the one where i was floored this is the one where the the power of filmmaking shone through and this is this is this is the one where you saw somebody who was bold enough to acknowledge that while the world is uh and can be an extremely fucked up place how many people he may know or at least people within his own his own community aren't doing anything to make it better and that I think is the type of thing that separates good storytellers from great storytellers mm-hmm. is, is people who don't, who don't leave out anything. And when, the, when, when he was exploring the, the, the black story, as it were in the nineties, it is inescapable that gang violence was a number one leading cause of the black male in the nineties. And it was something that was being glorified by music and, and television and movies. Mm -hmm. And to, to point that out in this movie where the very first characters that we met in this movie were gangbangers. Mm -hmm. And so to now take this this tale that you're telling from beginning to end and completely flip it and reverse it there at the end and point out that it's impossible to be part of the solution when you are part of the problem was absolutely amazing. This is the one where I took just a handful of notes because I was glued to my television during this final story because it was powerful and, and, and it was something that I can only imagine a lot of people. It was uncomfortable because I can imagine a lot of people who have experienced this lifestyle or may have been living in it. Didn't want to come face to face with how similar those images were. 
um, when he was doing the therapy and it was flashing up the lynching photos. And then, and then what you can assume were crazy K's like memories of, of drive-bys and hits. And when he, when he's in that sensory deprivation tank and there's the little mm -hmm. girl who, who's, who was shot. I mean, this was the one, like I said, where that, where that moment with Corbin Burnson wrapping himself in the flag elevated that sketch, uh, sketch story. This right. was the tale that elevated this movie to legitimate hardcore political discourse. Mm -hmm. And, and, and anybody who has anything negative to say about this movie, I, 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 I dare you to find a way to criticize this final one, because it was one of the more powerful things that I've seen committed to film. Um, and for it to be 30 years old was, was amazing. Yeah, I, I think you, you hit the nail on the head there um, to, to take it back to stories that um, that I'm familiar with. Um, I grew up hearing that the movie Scarface was uh, did such a disservice to the Cuban community um, because of the, the, the image of, of, of the, the, the Cuban as um, you know, as a, as a money hungry uh, drug dealing uh, low life is is what the movie put out there. What I've come to realize is that all the movie did was um, like hold a mirror up, right, and say, "Hey, this is what we see." And um, I think where there's something negative about that is that Oliver Stone himself is not Cuban. <laughs> right. Um, but Rusty Cundiff is a black man who can make these observations about his community and and do exactly what you what you said, you know, say um, and, and, and the, the difficult thing about these kinds of conversations that we have with our um, with, with our cultural brothers is that two things can be true. And it can be true that you are being held back. And right. It can be true that you have been done wrong. And it can be true that uh, you're not starting at zero. That you're starting lower on the number line. Right. Uh, because uh, there's no such thing as equality. Though Correct. we're told. Though we're told that there is. Right. Uh, and... Uh, but it can also be true that we're not doing enough to help ourselves to get out of here. And when you kind of look at where these stories started with someone like Morehouse doing everything that he can to move things forward, doing everything that he can for the community. And then you look at the other end with someone like Crazy K who's doing the exact opposite and thinking nothing of how I can raise the community. But, you know, um, it, something that struck out at me was, you know, he's in that sensory deprivation chamber and he says, you know, what about my nightmare? Yeah. Now I'm the nightmare. Right. Um, you know, it, it, this is something that, um, that I said during uh, our review of Blackula is that, you know, the survival of self, is so important and it's vital because uh, otherwise, I mean, the, the world is over, right? Um, my view, at least, is that the world ends 
the day that I die. Right. For me, it does. So, um, you know, if, if, if I need to ensure my survival, I'm going to do that. And if this is the only way that I think I can, or the only way that I know I can, then that's what I'm going to do. But it takes men like Morehouse to show us, no, that there is another way. And, and I think that's, that's why this is so difficult to watch because unfortunately this is the reality that you think you have. And I'm no one to tell you that it's not there. Right. But someone like Morehouse is there to tell you, Hey, there's another way and fucking figure it out because we have to do our part. And, 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 that's difficult. And I'm glad that there wasn't any levity here. I'm yeah, glad I'm I'm glad that this was I mean, this was essentially uh like a one act play you watch in a black box theater in the art district of your city. Yeah. You know, like it, it there's that much art in it. There's um uh and, and artistry. I mean, the way this was filmed was incredible. Dude, the, um, the, stro- the strobe light effect and, and the sensory deprivation chamber. Like, I mean, so you felt like you were going crazy with him. That was yeah. that was wild. I um I don't know if I've ever talked about this on the show before, but um I think you and I have talked about this. I am epileptic, so uh I I have seizures, and lights are a way that that's triggered. Uh, in fact, watching way too many animes when I was a kid, I was constantly <laughs> fucking seizing on the couch. Jesus. Yeah, my parents would call me, and I was like a vegetable. As like, oh, I guess Voltron's on again, oh, yeah, right? Yeah. So, uh, you know, but you know, some things are worth it. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, uh, generally, like I fast forward through those things because uh, because of the discomfort that it brings me and the potential for. Uh, for that, but I also know that low potassium is for me an indicator, so I just eat a banana. Right? Oh, okay. Um, so uh, I had a banana for lunch yesterday, right before I watched this, and I was like, okay, I'm safe. I should be right. <laughs> and, and and either way, I'm not fast forwarding through this, right? Because wow, what a fucking scene! Yes. This was incredible, and and I kept thinking to myself, I'm like, you know, is is this going to be like some commentary? on like how to be not aggressive you have to be white like is 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 that is that where this was going and it wasn't going that way at all nope because i think i think that that was low-hanging fruit i think that that would have been really easy and it would have been true but uh in in society's eyes right like your your blackness needs to be taken away my latino-ness needs to be taken away i need to be white to be seen as someone who um who has value someone who you can listen to. Uh, There's a reason why I've tried as much as possible to get rid of my Miami accent and speak with as neutral uh, an an American accent as I can. Uh, That's by design over years. I could be talking like this all the time. And sometimes (laughs) it comes out, you know, Uh, but (laughs) I've talked to them plenty of times when we've had a few drinks. It does come out. It does. It does come out. I can get enough whiskey and he goes full blown Spanglish. Oh, fuck, man. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's my favorite Dave. Is, is that guy that guy drunk dave who's uh who's who's just uh, i mean he's he's left the whiskey behind and it's just fucking rum man it's go go, go back and listen to some of those covid era um geek mores and you uh you'll you'll get you'll get us both and at that level so yeah this this is powerful man this i i do think that this if i had to you know pick one this is the one that to me was like 
fuck, man, there's that is a special, special segment right there that you can release that as a short film. And I guarantee you it wins awards. Yeah, that it was uh, I was just it was that one was absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. The, the, the one if if I had to find one bit of levity in this and, and it, there, it wasn't actually in the sketch, but if I had to make a joke about this particular one, it would be this. Is there a such thing as a high quality white power tattoo or do only shitty artists do those? Um, Because (laughs) 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 Uh, subject matter aside, you never see great line work, contrast and shading in a white power tattoo. I can only assume that it's only guys with needles, pens and Walkman batteries that are making these things because they're always bad. And that was, that was my one joke about this. One. Well, I, I, I think if you could find someone who wasn't hopped up on methamphetamine to, to do it, um, they might come out a little yeah. better. True enough. I mean, you, you, yeah. you, you, you gotta, you gotta be somebody who's willing to sacrifice a lot to be like, yes, yes, I will tattoo, tattoo that swastika yeah. on you. So, and yet you know. sacrificing, not enough. Yes. And just, yeah. So, um, so looking at the time here and also kind of looking at, at, at what all we were going to discuss, we have managed to kind of just squeeze it all together into our breakdown of all of these. Um, because I, I think that we've spent a good amount of time talking about the morality, um, mm-hmm. that was going to be in these. However, just because I, I don't, I don't want these to go wasted. If you could toss up some banners for me, Dave. Oh yeah. Um, we did have a section called life without knowledge is death in disguise, uh, from the amazing Talib Kweli. That's when we were going to discuss mm-hmm. morality. I think we've kind of been over that. Um, but I, so I do want to move forward cause we talked a little bit about it. Um, uh, just, just real quickly before we get into, uh, before we get into the last couple and that is our characters, um, in a section that we're calling real G's movement silence, like lasagna, uh, that's Lil Wayne. Um, and this is when I want to look at just the people individually. And we, we've talked about a handful of them, but Dave, who are the standouts for you, uh, in, in this movie? I mean, who are the characters that you, you loved, you hated, you loved to hate uh, all of that, you know, just, just take me through a couple characters in this. Uh, so I, I'll tell you, Clarence Williams, the third is Mr. Sims. Uh, he's weird and wacky in exactly the right kind of way. Uh, fuck. He's so, so good. And I forgot what his role really was right in the movie. Like I knew he was the guy, you know, he was the, the, the mortician that's going to take them from story to story, but I forgot the review at the end <laughs> and I was like, Oh damn, that's fucking awesome. Uh, yeah, so, uh, he was, he was great. He was fantastic. And, and I think I got to give it up to David Alan Greer, man. Yeah. I mean, um, I love him in everything I've ever seen him in. Um, I ha- literally, I have yet to see him in anything where I was like, Oh, you kind of phoned it in there. Right. Um, and, uh, for me, it was just, man, he, he, uh, he didn't make me laugh. And right, yet which was uh, that was a great thing because he made me terrified. Um, and I think that that's, that's something that the greatest comedic actors can do guys like, like Robin Williams and, and, uh, and guys like Jim Carrey, that they, they'll scare you. And, um, and, and I think that's, that's a sign of a great actor right there. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, uh, Clarence Williams, the third, uh, I mean, he'll, he'll always be linked for mod squad. Right. But uh, it's, <laughs> he was just, so perfect because 
like we talked about this being an homage to Tales from the Crypt. I mean, and and what do you, what do you always you always think about the Crypt Keeper, right? That's mm-hmm. that's who stands out, and that was the role he filled. He was he emceed all of this, and yes, he does eventually turn out to be Satan. Um, yeah. <laughs> but you know, he 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 was he he was our master of ceremonies, and he took us through all of these things and the the way that he just beautifully painted the the setups for all of these things and, yeah. and introduce these stories was, was awesome. And, and just, man, and, and from an acting perspective, his eyes, dude, his, like every mm-hmm. time he was talking and, and he'd be, he'd be looking at him and then he'd, he'd stare off at something that only he could see. And every time they'd be like, well, where's the shit, you know? And he'd give them the, Oh yes, <laughs> the shit. The shit. And then, yeah. And his <laughs> eyes would kind of just glare off into the sky didn't it just he was incredible um i loved uh like i said i loved corbin bernson's uh commitment yeah he was really great he was so good and he is he's he's an actor who i i've uh, i've just i've always loved Uh, i mean he's always been great and i know it's 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 not la confidential that's the wrong thing that lawyer show that he was on that is completely escaping my mind right now um um but he's he's always been great. Uh, and then shout out to Wings Hauser, who played Strom, the worst yeah. of the three terrible cops. Um, if you're a Yellowstone fan and you like uh, you like Rip, played by Cole Hauser, that's his dad. Um, and he his again just commitment to that role, man. L.A. Law, L.A. Law. Thank yeah. you. Uh, L.A. Law was the show I was thinking of. But his his commitment to that role, dude. He he made those other two guys that were also shit, shit, shit human beings wearing cop uniforms seem like normal people, right? And that's when you got three guys that are together and all like, yeah, we're going to commit a murder and we're all okay with this. And there's still one of them where you're like, that one's way worse. There's there's something to be said about that, right? So he yeah. uh, he he did a great job with that. Um, and I, I've got to give I've got to give one more, and this one is is purely self serving from the podcast. But uh, Joe Tory, who played Stack, um, mm-hmm. actually gave us a shout out on his Instagram story. Um, nice when uh, when he saw that we were going to be doing this movie. So, Mr. Tory, if you are watching, you are listening. We greatly appreciate that. I hope maybe there's one or two of you out there listening because uh, he told you that we were going to be doing this movie. So that was really cool of him. Um, to do that, he he played his mm-hmm. role exactly like he needed to. I mean, it was he was part of that welcome to the mortuary crew that took us from story to story. You know, we never really got to that one, but it, it was necessary in making this one connective movie, not just a collection yeah. of things. And and he was he was exactly what he needed to be in that. So that was fantastic. But um, yeah, like I said, it was just really cool that, that he went out there and shared our post uh, on his Instagram story to get word out that we were doing this movie. That's fantastic. And you know, for, for these kinds of movies, that's all you really need yeah. is just like that one through line that's going to take you from start to finish. And, um, and it's enough. It's enough to say, oh, okay, I see how you tied those all together. That's great. Um, and, and, and they did this in, in, in I think, a, a great way where uh, it actually made an awful lot of sense, you know, and um, uh, it was funny. 
also. Yeah. You know, because when you come off of some of those really heavy ones and, and, and there you've got Clarence Williams, you know, hamming it up uh, with, with, with these three morons, you know? It's, yeah. And, it's fucking and, awesome. and in case you don't remember Joe Torrey, the guy I'm talking about is the one who tried to run away when the blind went up yes. and he like hit the wind chime and knocked himself <laughs> out. So again, yeah. giving us exactly what we needed in the movie. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, our last bit before we get into rating is uh, thinking of a master plan. Uh, so uh, Rusty Kundif, you know, he um, this is a huge project. Something yeah. like this, right? This is not easy to do. So directing something like this, it's it, it's no simple task. So giving each tale a different feel, its own vibe. That's really tough to do. Uh, so I guess the question is, did it feel like they were different stories with different vibes that came together or uh, was there a sense of uh, disconnection here? It felt like they were different things, but I think that that was the right move because so often when you're on the outside looking in to something like this as the two of us are, it's, it's easy to only get or see one perspective of things. Mm -hmm. It's easy to kind of get sucked into this real tunnel vision view of, of how things are and, and what things are. And I think that he went so far out of his way to make you see so many angles of this, that, that, that is what sells this as, as great. Mm -hmm. I think that, uh, I think that he made some excellent choices in in the way that each story was presented so that it was a good ebb and flow in in what we were seeing in each one. There was a lot because there there's we've we've talked in the past about you know being scared versus being startled. We we've mm -hmm. talked about what makes a good monster and what we're presented here is is a lot of different monsters. And, and a lot of different perspectives on reasons why the, 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 the black experience as, as, as a life, as, as, your, as your life is scary. And so to give us four different views into that uh, was great. So I think that he made some great directorial decisions there. I also think that he made some of his best decisions when it came to music for this thing, man. Yeah. The very first one opening with the cops, uh, a lynching that man mm -hmm. and to have strange fruit by Billy holiday playing just that. If, if, if you are listening to this podcast and you didn't watch this movie or you're not sure what song I'm talking about and the, the name strange fruit, uh, isn't familiar to you. Uh, strange fruit by Billy holiday is one of, if not the greatest protest songs of mm -hmm. all time. And the placement and the use of it in this movie was incredible. He was, he did, he had those really great moments with those, uh, those just piercing violin. I think it was a violin, those piercing like violin notes that are, that are purposefully struck to sound like they're not the right note to be right. in that moment. Uh, just some things like that. The, the use of the, the rap songs, uh, that he chose for the fourth one, he, he made some incredible decisions in this movie. Uh, I, I have to agree, man. Um, for, for me, at least, um, these felt, um, 
like distinct stories that uh, were tied together thematically. And um, there was enough there for me to say, I can see why these were included together um, because it's, it's almost like putting together um, like a literary anthology. Like there, there needs to be something here for you to say, um, why are we jumping from this one to this next one? Um, it's like making the right mixtape. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, and, and, uh, and that is actually a lot more difficult than you think it might be. It's a lost um, art people. It is a lost art. Um, because I've listened to a lot of playlists on, um, on Spotify, on, on Apple music, uh, and anyone can upload a playlist. And the thing is that they're not all good. Right. And they, they might have fantastic songs on them, but there's no flow. Yeah. Um, that's something that's difficult to teach. And it's something that it's done really with practice. And um, it, the anthology film is in the nineties, something that wasn't really done anymore. Right. Um, uh, just like when, I mean, for me, when, when I think anthologies, um, you know, I, I, I think tales from the crypt, I think um, creep show, you know, creep show. I think, Creepshow Part Two. I think Tales from the Dark Side, which is really Creepshow Part Three, right? Um, and um, and Tales from the Hood, and and there's there's a reason why these movies work so well. Uh, just like the Twilight Zone movie, the Twilight Zone movie works incredibly well, and it's because you move from things that are heavy to things that are light to things that are funny to things that are serious, and there's a lot of that here. Um, he struck an incredible balance and um, visually this movie is a capsule. It puts you right in 1995 in the best way possible. Yeah. Uh, but it also feels timeless um, in certain ways too. And, and maybe it's just because like I am of the generation that was young when this movie came out. And so I'll always look back on the nineties fondly uh, despite things like Jinko jeans and uh, <laughs> Uh, and, and 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 hollister t-shirts oh man those, those um, hemp know. necklaces that just like the had puka the big shells. metal balls on them oh those <laughs> yeah puka shells were about 10 years later yeah. yeah my mistake uh but yeah you know this this movie's uh, it's it's timeless and um timely uh and and also incredibly of its time um and 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 that's that's an incredible thing to to be able to be it's to me it's almost like and i, I can't believe i'm saying this but it's almost like watching casablanca because it's yes. uh <laughs> did you get a bingo yeah yeah that was yeah. it that was it, that was that was it. Right yeah um, it's uh it's almost like watching casablanca because casablanca is timeless but it's also incredibly of its time and yet still something that is timely you watch it today and you're still like damn, I can't believe this movie's still relevant. Right. And and that is really, really difficult to accomplish. Yeah, it, it's, they, this movie, just everything that ends up kind of wrapped into it, it, it does so much, but like, I don't think that we can ever ex express enough the fact that if you if you haven't seen this because you think that it's got a goofy name or because it's 30 years old, um, you can you can watch this now. And like I said at the top, you go, OK, yeah, this is the 90s. I get it. But also you can watch this now and go, 
but but wait, that something very similar to that just happened. Oh, wait, a politician who this could have been based on was actually just outed recently as as being a horrible person or whatever. Um, If you're one of the few people who still seem to be surprised when politicians (laughs) are outed as horrible human beings. Uh, So it's it's just it's incredible that he made this work of film that just is is rings true and it's also when we're talking about how scary this movie is it's scary to think about how long this movie may continue to ring true yeah it's scary to sit back and go man it's from the civil rights movement till when this movie was made it's a solid 30 years and now it's another 30 years 30 years from now are 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 whoever takes up the mantle of this from us going to be going? Oh, let's visit. Let's visit the, the tales from the hood for the 60th anniversary. This still right. rings true. That's a horrifying thought to have. Mm-hmm. And I like to believe that uh, just kind of based on on the 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 prevalence of of activism at a younger age now that that maybe at this point we're really just kind of waiting out some of these guys who are in positions of power because you know one thing that 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 if 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 you if you listen to this podcast and you, you don't pay a lot of attention to politics one thing you may not have noticed is the the steady increase in, in the in the age of the people elected into these positions of power mm-hmm. because you know, we talk about uh, Corbin Burnson grabbing onto the American flag and wrapping himself in it to 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 hang on to the last vestiges of what he had. These these, for lack of anything better to call them, these old white men. That's all they got left yeah. is each other. All they've got left is all is other old white men, and they, <laughs> the whole world has turned on the old white man, and yeah. they can only seek solace in each other. Right. There's just still a whole lot of them. And they've and, and and a lot of the money in this country still moves through old white men. And mm-hmm. so they that that's how they that's how they're hanging on to their power is, is keeping these old white men around. I'm 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 gonna be 40 this year. Dave's a little bit younger than me. Just just hang in there and keep hoping that 30 years from now, Tales from the Hood is 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 a is a is, a, is tales of a of a bygone time. Right. Because 30 years from now, we can only hope that this that this generation of 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 the the the, the generation of old white men in power have died off, and that that these this more active generation and, and more socially forward people are are going to finally be able to move themselves into these positions of power. Because I think that ultimately the the scary part of this movie is acknowledging how it's so 90s, but also so relevant. Yeah. And um, I'm not going to add on to that because that was perfect. Um, that leaves us really with just a rating. And um, we we bounced a couple ideas uh, back and forth. And uh, let me let me go back to see which one it was that we ended up on. We're, we we we've been real heavy. Let's 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 go with the lighter. Let's let's have some fun with the rating. Okay. All right. So then, Daniel. Out of a possible five, beans fried right the first time. God damn, so good. <laughs> How many beans fried right the first time do you give Tales from the Hood? So I've I've made the I've made this comment before. And usually when a movie ends and and I'm going to and it's gonna hit that five mark, it rings for me right away. Mm-hmm. 
And I always think that that's the, the telltale sign of something that, that deserves a five. Um, and, and while, while, while I have spent the past hour and a half, I mean, singing the praises of this movie and I've meant every single word of it. There's that one little zhuzh that's, that's kind of missing for me, uh, mm-hmm. for this one. And I can't put my finger on it. And, and it may be, it may be something where eventually it, it, it's going to get that last little bit. But right now I feel most comfortable setting this at four and a half, uh, beans fried right the first time. <laughs> Because, uh, like I said, while while it was absolutely incredible, and, and and I've got almost nothing to take away from this, there's just there's there's one little something, a, a, a je ne sais quoi that I can't mm. that I can't figure out that's that's keeping it from being a five for me. So I'm gonna sit comfortably at four and a half beans fried right the first time. I uh, like you got fancy in French there. Thank you. Um, it was, uh, it was very sexy. So, um, (laughs) (laughs) um, I do know what my one gripe with this movie is, and it's something that I kind of hinted at once, um, which is that it does occasionally pull punches in the special effects department. Okay. Fair. Um, now here's the thing. I would much rather a movie pull that punch and deliver the special effect that it knows it can deliver and not half-ass the other special effect. Then take that money and put it into the effects that you know you're going to be able to do because the special effects in in the last segment are fantastic. And the special effects in that first segment are fantastic. Um, it's those middle two where, you know, it does kind of get very simple on, on the special effects, uh, and, and not to take anything away from stop motion. Cause stop motion is a very long and expensive process. Um, but it, it, those definitely were the two that didn't go heavy on the special effects. Um, I still feel like for me personally, I would have liked to have seen more. Right. But I also can recognize that money aside, this is the kind of movie that you want to uh, you made for a specific audience because this is a movie made by a black filmmaker. And I think that its target demographic was black America. Right. But you also want to be able to reach anyone and particularly the person that normally wouldn't go out and see this movie when they start hearing hey this there's something special in this movie here there's something good here you want them to walk into this movie and not walk out because their stomach is churning right you don't want this to be a gore fest and as much as I want it to be a gore fest <laughs> I recognize that you're going to reach a larger audience by pulling those punches than by not. So um, for me, the, like, I, I'm, I'm, I, I don't know uh, because my heart says four and a half, but my head says five. 
my head says that's not really a drawback because of, right. look, look at look at this wider audience that you have. Look at the way that they did use this money in the right special effects. Um, and so, as with anything, I don't listen to my heart. <laughs> I, I I I listen to logic, and uh, and I am going to go with five, okay. which is going to which is going to leave us at a, a number that I don't care to look at. But we are going to round up, and so we're going to go to. Five uh, beans fried right the first time for Tales from the Hood, which, um, man, it deserves it. It does, man. This, like I said, it, it's, it, it had been a really long time, and I was in the same boat. Like, I definitely didn't remember specifics because I didn't even remember exactly what the four stories were. Right. And so it was, it was a great watch. Yeah. So there you have it. Five beans fried right the first time for Tales from the Crypt as we continue our month long celebration of uh, black filmmakers in horror uh, next week. We will be looking at uh, one that I have not seen. I have not either has Daniel. So this doesn't happen very often. Uh, we're going to be looking at Antebellum. Yeah, we're going to uh, get real current with it. Yeah, so yeah, we're 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 jumping about twenty five years in the future, um, maybe more. I'm not sure. Um, I don't math. Whatever. Yeah, yeah, no, right at twenty five years. It came out in twenty twenty. Ah, there we go. Okay, fantastic. So uh, pulled that one out of my uh, Bugs Bunny asshole right there. Um, it's, it's always incredible. The Looney Tunes, their ass is filled with stuff. They it's, just pull it out. Yeah, just doink, and there it is. Right. Uh, so there was that number. Um, and and so if you if you liked our show. Go back and uh, listen to some of the other ones. We've got some good ones, I think. I, I, um, like, I like to think so. Yeah, I like to think so. Um, but you you can tell us so uh, if you interact with us on uh, on our social media. Uh, and you can find all of our social media. Where, Daniel? Uh, we are on. We are at ShiverPod on all of the social media. We are most active on Instagram. That is where we have uh, had the most success reaching out to and communicating with fans. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube at ShiverPod. You can also head to ShiverPod.com, your one-stop shop for the links to all of those things. And I know I keep, I know I keep just, just barely mentioning it, but we are going to have a merch drop soon. We've got a rough draft of what and it's it going to look fantastic. like. And we think that you guys are going to be very happy with it. So here in the very near future, you will be able to wear our merchandise proudly across your chest. Um, and wherever else you may want to put it, uh, Ooh, so, <laughs> get you a pair of them sweatpants that like the ones that used to say juicy, but just, whip. Oh yeah. So anyway, <laughs> make sure you head to, make sure you head to shiverpot.com links to where you can find all of us social media. We like to post short videos, memes. That's where we'll tell you every Monday, what movie we're going to be doing for the week. Um, in case you had it, in case you're not current, you can always know what we're going to be doing. And don't forget we are, we are live every Wednesday at 9, 8 central. You can watch us on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. And from those platforms, you can interact with us and tell us what you think. We'd always love to talk to you and hear from you as we go. So thank you guys so much for listening. We got another good one coming up. We haven't seen it, but we've heard great things. <laughs> so on behalf of all of us here at Shiver, fright you very much. <laughs>